Sing this to him. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Praise. 
sing I believe. I believe in the sun. I believe in the risen one. I believe I overcome by the power of his blood. Amen. Amen. 
And Psalm 47 says, God reigns over all the nations, for he is seated on his holy throne. For the kings of the earth belong to God, and he is greatly exalted. You reign in all the earth. You reign in all the heavens. You're holy. You're seated on the throne. Nothing can stand against you. You're holy. I search the world He couldn't feel me Man's empty praise And treasures of faith Are never enough Then you came along And you put me back together Desire is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, oh, oh. oh there's nothing that's better than you. Oh, there's nothing that's better 
Well, good morning, folks. How we doing this morning? We doing well? Yeah? Welcome to church. Let's have you stand if you would. If you're at home tuning in, we welcome you here today as well. We're going to worship together. And come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. And drink of the water, come and thirst no more. Oh, come all you sinners, come find His mercy. Come to the table, He will satisfy. Taste of His goodness, find what you're looking for. For God so loved the world that He gave us. Bring all your failures, bring your addictions, come lay them down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting there with open arms, with his open arms. For God so loved the world that he gave us, his one and only son to save us. Whoever believes in him will live forever. Bring 
your addictions. Come lay them down at the foot of the cross. As Jesus is waiting, God so loved the world. Isn't that good news? Oh, let us never forget that, John 3.16. wanted to read to you out of Psalm 113 this morning. It says this. It says, praise the Lord and praise, O servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. For blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens and his glory above, and who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. We serve a God who is great and powerful and deserves all praise today. Amen. Amen. Let's sing this together. And oh Lord, my God, who when I in awesome one. That's right worlds thy hands have made and I see the stars and I hear the rolling thunder thy power throughout the universe displayed and then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. And this is our response to all that we see. And how great Thou art. And how great Thou art. And then sings my soul, my Savior Oh, how great Thou art, how great Thou art, oh, how great You are, how great You are. Ponder these thoughts. And when I think that God, His Son, not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it that on the My burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee.
the darkest day in history. They're on a cross they made for sinners. For every curse his blood atones. One final breath and it was finished. But not the end we could have known. For the earth began to shake. And the veil was torn. With sacrifice was made. As the heavens Dark, cold, too. Where our Lord, who was. 
for all he has done for us. The love that was shown to us on that cross, we did not deserve it. And we mean it when we say, all hail King Jesus. Because we recognize we have been purchased with his blood. So Father, may that be our heart today. That we're not just speaking words that are meaningless and that we would do flippantly. Because one day we're going to see the one who laid down his life for us. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change everything. We're thankful that even now he has changed everything. God, I pray that you'd help us to be faithful. Because we get one shot at this. We get one shot at life when we recognize in terms of eternity, the timeline, this is a blip on the map. So God, help us to use this opportunity to be your ambassadors, to share the good news of what your son has done because that's what you've called us to. God, I pray that now as we hear from your word, may it refine us, may it change us, may it convict us, may it encourage us, all the things that your word can do. Speak to us through it now. In Christ's precious name, amen. And you can be seated. Good morning, church. We're going to be in Psalm 19 this morning, and I hope you were blessed by our time in worship. I, I, uh, yeah, I'm thankful for that. Every single week we mention it, but uh, it is always important for us to warm our hearts up so that we'll be able to respond to the word, isn't it? Get a little something reflection going on before uh, we start to dig into the Word. We're starting a brand new series. It's going to go through this summer. And uh, it's based on, normally, our introduction to the church. Uh, normally, if you're brand new at Salem Heights and you want to serve or participate here, we have you go through a class called Fundamentals of the Faith. Um, but we're living in a season right now where we wanted to make sure that we just readdress the fundamentals as a church. And as soon as you say the word fundamentals and you attach that to Christianity, there's nervousness in the room, isn't there? Uh, we live in a world where if you have that name fundamentalism or something like that, there's an assumption made about your character, about your direction, about the way that you're going to word things or see the world. And I want us to remove the nervousness with that. First of all, I, I just have a personal opinion, and I, I want you to, to think through this. I think that every single person if the, we use the world's description, every single person that I've ever met is a fundamentalist, all right? By that I mean they have a set of uh, objectives in their life, they have a set of precepts, a set of principles that they live by, 
They think those are ultimate. They judge other people by whether or not they live up to those things, and they set their boundaries and their friendships in relation to that. That's just kind of the idea of a fundamental. We're getting away from the nervousness around fundamentalism, which is not what I'm inviting you to. I'm inviting you to investigate what it actually means to be a believer. What are the basic elements of Christianity? When we have a joke at church about what is the answer to any question on a Sunday morning, what do we say? Yeah, Jesus. God, Jesus, Bible. It's the little kid looking at a picture of a squirrel in Sunday school, right? And the teacher says, what is this? And the kid says, well, I know the answer is Jesus, but it looks like a squirrel. God, Jesus, Bible, we say that as if that is elemental, but do you know that even in the room, I will bet you if we had a discussion about the Bible, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, your three enemies, did you know you had three? Your three enemies, we would have discussions that would be wide-ranging and they would have some conflict. We're just going to take a look at what Scripture says during this season. Why that is important? We live in a generation right now, and I was told this by somebody a whole generation of kids who actually cannot find their way more than five blocks from their home unless they have Google Maps. You can't find your way to the grocery store. You've been here all of your life. I don't know where I am. I'm like an ant without my trail if I don't have Google Maps. Why is that significant? Because some of you don't know what you believe unless your device tells you. We're gonna get past that during this summer. We're gonna take a look at what the scriptures say and you can know for sure what God says about you without picking up your phone, okay? Checking in with Google. By the way, Google's not gonna steer you right when it comes to God. The Lord will. So we're gonna look at the fundamentals. And we're gonna do that starting with Psalm chapter 19. We're starting with scripture because scripture is a fundamental. All right? If we can't trust this, we can't trust anything else that we're going to say during the course of this summer. So let's stand and read Psalm 19 together. This is what Scripture says. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of His hands. Day after day they pour out speech, and night after night they communicate knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard, but their message has gone out to the whole earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he's pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his home. It rejoices like an athlete running his course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The commandment of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable. They're altogether righteous. They're more desirable than gold, than the abundance of pure gold. They're sweeter than honey that drips from the honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them, there is abundant reward. Who perceives his unintentional sins? 
Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sin. Don't let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from a blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. That's an important passage. Amen? You may be seated. Fathers, we pay attention to your word. We pray that you would just give us insight. Help us to be able to wrap our minds around what it means to be not only a believer, but to look at your word and to trust it. I pray, Father, that you would help us. Give us your eyes, your heart, your desires. Father, fill us with your opinion rather than our own. Help us to shed the world's opinions and cling to what is good. And help us to start that even as we study Your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I just want to make a couple of observations. This psalm really breaks down into three, so it's the perfect passage to preach. Three points. And the first one is super important. There's an observation made before he gets to the details of the importance of Scripture. The psalmist writes that Scripture is God's declaration that he is the author of the poetry of the universe. Look at how he speaks about it. The heavens declare the glory of God. The expanse proclaims the work of his hands. It pours out speech. He's using these dramatic terms saying that the world and the universe is shouting at us that there is a God. He says he doesn't use words, but is putting it on display every single day. I just want you to know that even from the beginning, Scripture starts out this way. So I just want you to listen to the first words of Scripture But also notice what is going on in nature, what must have been happening in those early days of creation. We have a little video that puts those two together. In the beginning, God. Before there was, there was God. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Then God spoke. At his command, light emerged from the darkness. The light he called day and the darkness he called night. Then God separated the water from water, creating a vault he called sky. The waters under the sky were gathered to one place and dry ground appeared. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. From the land arose vegetation, plants and trees and every green thing bearing fruit each according to their kinds. Then God placed lights in the vault of the sky to give light to earth, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also created the stars, calling them all out by name. The sun, moon, and stars shone brightly, reflecting the brilliance of the Lord. God filled the seas with every great creature with which the water teems. And God placed every winged bird in the sky above. Then God created the creatures of the land, livestock, wild animals, and all creatures that move along the ground, each according to its kind. God saw all that he had made, the heavens and the earth, the lights of the sky, the crop of the land, and every living thing beneath the waters and above. And it was good. But one thing was missing, God's most beloved creation. So God created man in his own image, raising him up from the dust of the earth. But it was not good for man to be alone. 
So God created woman from the flesh of man. He breathed his spirit into humanity and together they reflected the image of God. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and rule it. God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. We are, I was looking at just the basic elements of what it takes to make up the universe. Scientists tell us that there's as many as 100 to 200 constants that have to be in existence in order for everything that we see to be in existence. They've reduced that down because it seems too crazy for them to 26 to 32 fundamental constants in the universe in order for life to exist. And even then it's overwhelming. I only have five minutes to make this point. But I hope that it's easy for you to wrap your mind around that when we look at the universe, when we look at all of creation, it shouts out that there is a God. 32 fundamental constants in the universe. If you were just to have two of those, the chances that even two of those would exist so that you and I would have the possibility of life being sustained on the earth, that just two of those fundamental constants would exist without a creator, that they would just pop into existence, is one in 10 to the trillion, billion, or billion, trillion, 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 trillion. trillion. Just write that number down for your kids if you want to follow this out. Roger Penrose, not sure that he's even a believer, said, if you were to combine all of the laws that must be fine-tuned in order for us to exist, we couldn't even write that number down in full because it would require more zeros than all of the elementary particles in the universe. You'd run out of ink. Literally, you'd run out of particles to make ink out of in order to write the number down, in order for you and I to exist. Now, this is what some people are trying to tell you right now, that we just accidentally happened and got here without any kind of creator, but creation is shouting out that there is a creator, and it's not a giant leap. Imagine for a moment that you've done something so wrong that it requires you stand in front of a firing squad, and you are marched out there. All right, and the commandant is overseeing all of this, but he's so concerned about what it is that you have actually done that he's brought in 100 marksmen to stand six feet away from you, load their guns, take aim, and prepare to fire. So he says, ready, aim, fire to 100 marksmen from six feet away. And every single one of them misses. If you were the commandant at that point, if all of them missed, it would be reasonable to wonder if there was a conspiracy. It would be reasonable to say, you know what, there might be a mind behind this that caused everything to miss. By the way, the chances of that happening are something like 1 in 10 to the 100. Um, The chances of life happening are so far beyond that. Stephen Meyer, speaking to a group of his students, when he's just talking about physics in the universe, saying, I believe that there is a God, he takes a combination lock up there and he shows them there's 10 numbers on that dial. 
And he says, the chances of you getting this combination right are one in, in uh, 10 to the 100. He's like, uh, I've got this great big lock that I put up in the front of the class. And I talk about the uniqueness of life and all of these things, and the chances are so infinitesimal. And so he says, and then I just say, I'm just going to call a random student in here, and if you can get this lock right on the very first time, you get $100. And so he points out to the class, and he says, Sally, you come up here. And Sally comes up there and just messes around for a few moments and picks a lock and then looks at the class and pops it open. And the whole class goes, ah, we got you. There is a chance. He says, but every single class I've ever had, all of a sudden, somebody will say, wait, Sally, did you know that combination in advance? And then they begin to question her. Did you talk with it? Did he give you the number? And then all of a sudden, the whole class says, there's got to be some kind of conspiracy. And he says, sometimes it even gets a little bit raucous. And he pauses and he stops. He says, wait a minute, people, why are you, we live in a universe where there's a chance she could have gotten that. This hundred dollars is hers. And they all are convinced that there's a conspiracy. Even though the chances of her getting the lock right are so much smaller than the chances of life existing. And he says, Sally, did I actually give you the combination? And she says, yeah, it's right here on this piece of paper. (laughs) You were right to assume that there was a conspiracy. Why? Because chances that small are no chance at all. Folks, it is not a big leap for you as a believer to look at the entire universe. Scientists have been saying this. In fact, there's a large group of scientists now that are starting to say there is an intelligence behind the universe. We're convinced that there is a God, and they're growing in number at such a rapid rate. What one of them said is, here we are as a group of scientists dealing with the fundamental constants of the world, and we finally realize that there is a God, and we open the door into that room, and we find that all of the pastors and theologians have left. Why? Because they're afraid of what the world thinks rather than what God thinks. One of the things you have to see is that God says he created the universe and it speaks of him every single day. It does. Point one. But the question is how can I know the mind of God? And that's actually what this passage is about. He says he's shouting out, but you don't know the words, but here is the gift of God to you and I. He has actually spoken in such a way that you don't have to wonder. All of the other religions in the world wonder what their God believes. Our God has told us specifically what it is that we are to know. That's a gift. The second thing I want you to see here is that Scripture is essential to knowing, enjoying, and growing in the Lord. I want you to notice the descriptions. He makes it seems like a hard right turn, but is a natural conclusion. What is this word pointing to? Well, it's pointing to the God of the universe speaking to us. Verse 7, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony is trustworthy. The precepts are right. The command is radiant. The fear of the Lord, by the way, he puts that as equal to precepts and, and uh, instruction. The fear of the Lord is pure. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable. Listen to those words. The instruction is perfect. 1 Peter 1, or 2 Peter 1, 19 says this. I'll start actually at verse 16. It says, for we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from majestic glory, saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven 
and we were with him on the holy mountain. We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you would do well to pay attention to it, as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation. That that should be underlined in every Bible. We don't get to tell God what he says and who he is. He tells us. Because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We don't have time to unpack this verse in its entirety, but it basically says the Old Testament speaks of him. We witnessed him. The New Testament and all of the things that have been written, all of the scriptures throughout time have been breathed out by God. And the picture that it says, when it says that it's actually God breathed, when it says that no prophecy came by the will of man, but men were as they spoke from God, were carried along. It's the idea of a sailboat that's pointed in the right direction and the wind of God fills the sail. They lived in a time when if there was contrary winds, they wouldn't get where they were going, but when they had the wind going in the right direction, it would carry the boat where it needed to go. And so here you have a a scripture in front of you that has as much variegation and personality as there are people in the room. But every single one of the conclusions, God carries them through in their personality, in their time, in the language that was in use at the time, and it fills the sail and carries them right to where they needed to go. The instruction is perfect. The testimony is trustworthy. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God. God breathed, literally, and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God might be complete, equipped for every work. Just look at those words really quickly. It says, inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness. There are moments, teachable moments, where we read scripture and we say, what does it say about God? But there are also moments all the way through the scripture where it says, for rebuking, for correcting, for training, literally, pulling you as a little child from one thing you're hanging on to and telling you, no, hang on to this instead. Scripture is profitable for that. Notice the words that it uses. It actually says, I'm going to rebuke you and keep you. It's literally putting a stop sign in front of danger and shouting out to you like a loving parent before you run across the street where there's active traffic. It is God's Loving concern for you that causes him to shout and call you back to safety. But it also says the precepts are right and the commands are radiant. Hebrews 4, uh, just a profound passage. Hebrews 4 says, For the word of God is living and effective, it is sharper than any two edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul. And spirit. By the way, do you know where that line is? Of joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Living and active, the, the picture I've always used is of one of those turkey carving knives that you have, right? Remember the first generation of those where they had two blades running next to each other? And you remember they they didn't have a pressure switch. It was an on-off. 
So you could literally turn on that turkey knife attached to the wall and you'd be carving your turkey and you'd set that down up there with all the kids running around wanting to grab a little piece when it's up there, right? That knife was living and active sitting on your counter when you were carving that and you forgot and had a conversation with Uncle Eddie. What ends up happening? It can become dangerous. That knife in the wrong hands creates harm. But it says it is living, active, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit. Are you aware that there are problems hidden inside your heart that you're not even aware of? Do you know that every single one of us has a bent and a direction and a proclivity and a thing that we get attached to, that we hold on to as strongly as we would hold on to God, and the word of God looks into your heart and says, you see this right here? Just give me a moment. And with surgical precision, instead of doing all the reckless damage that just a knife that's on fire would do, God goes in with precision and cuts out the cancer and sets us free. Isn't that awesome? Cuts out the cancer and leaves us filled with life. The precepts are right. The commands are radiant. And finally, the fear of the Lord is pure. First Peter, once again, highlights this in First Peter 1, verses 22 through 25. It says, since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart. Love one another constantly. This is the result of it. Because you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. But get this, the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. Folks, we've been called into life. And you and I get transformed by the word of God and it says, then you need to treat each other gently. Has that been your disposition? Why? Because you're going to live for eternity with these people because they've been set free by the same gospel that you were. You're going to spend eternity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're going to get up there and God's going to say, you want to know what? Some of the things you've been saying about each other, some of the ways that you've been interacting, let's reconcile that at the gates of heaven so that you can come in and be set free. And what's he going to do it with? It's going to be based on the word of God. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, I'll wash them white as snow. You come to me, confess and let it go, he says, based on what the word of God says you're supposed to be focused on. I'll set you free. You become an eternal member of the family of God through the revealed truth that's in the word. The results are profound. It actually says at the very end, they're more desirable than gold, the abundance of pure gold. It's going to give you security. It's sweeter than honey dripping from the honeycomb. It is sweet to your heart. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them, there is great reward. You actually go through life knowing what direction you should go and what way you should avoid. Scripture is our guide. The results are beautiful. The result is this statement. We've said it in fundamentals for years. I'm gonna say it and just let it sit in the room and see how it settles, okay? The scriptures are inerrant, sufficient, and satisfying. The standard for all truth and the sole authority for belief and practice. Now, at that statement, 
our world says, what? The standard for all truth, the sole authority for belief and practice. Oh, look, I, I like the happy thoughts. I like all the little devotionals that Christians put out. I like the sunshiny things. And I mean, you guys were like the authors of that kitty that just says on the edge of the, the cliff, hang in there, right? Aren't you guys the guys that started that? I like the fuzzy thoughts. I like the happiness. But the sole authority, Scripture, doesn't Scripture get so much wrong when it comes to science and sex and slavery? Have you heard those things? By the way, what's your defense to those things? You want to know the sign that a creature in the wild feels like it has been pinned and it's going to, uh, it's going to be caught? It gets angry. It starts to lash out. Have you ever watched a giant lion with all the cubs with their claws out, banging around, chewing and all that stuff? He just sits there and he's like, man, these things are annoying. <laughs> Why? He's not worried that he's going to get killed by one of them. Why do we get so angry? Because we're afraid we don't have the answers. Do you know the answers are right in Scripture? I, I just want to give you one in a, a short moment here. What about slavery? Is there anybody in the room who believes that slavery is right? I'm not seeing any raised hands. Slavery is wrong. It's despicable. In our own country, we see the history of slavery. We're afraid to even talk about it. In Scripture, it highlights how masters and slaves are to interact. It actually uses that word. And I had this question. I asked a bunch of people during the course of the week, what are some of the most concerning passages to you? And this came up more often than even the Bible's view on sex or the Bible's view on science. Slavery. It's a buzzword. In fact, it's a trigger word. Why does the Bible even have to use that word slavery? I just want you to think about a couple of things. In Exodus 21, 21, we have actually what I believe is the most condemning statement. If you're going to read it, this is the one that atheists use. I've heard it on a radio program just a little while ago. It says uh, in verse 20, if a man strikes his male or female slave with a rod and the slave dies under his abuse, the owner must be punished. However, if a slave can stand up after a day or two, the owner should not be punished because, and many of your Bibles will say this, because he's the owner's property. What? That's in your Bible. How do you answer that? We don't have time to unpack all of it this morning, but I just want to ask you this. If I could insert just a couple of observations in here that change your mind, will you do some study to find out that actually what Scripture says is delightful and not abhorrent. I was listening to Sean McDowell, and uh, he was actually talking about a time, he says, you know, I get offensive sometimes, and he says, and I was making a comparison between lawyers and jerks. He says, and I saw a guy in the front row getting agitated and overwhelmed, and at the end of the show, the guy comes up and he goes, man, I'm super offended at what you had to say. I'm super offended at the comparisons that you made. And Sean goes, man, I am so sorry. I, I take it that you're a lawyer, and he goes, no, I'm a jerk. Sometimes, and if you're a lawyer in the room, I'm super sorry, but uh, right, Pete. There are concerns that we have, and we run ahead of the conclusion and, and don't look at what Scripture actually has to say. Do you know that in Proverbs 
It actually gives you an observation, and he uses the same word for slavery there. It says that if you owe money to an individual, that the borrower is the slave of the lender. Do you know that? Do you know it speaks about that if anybody is working for another person, okay? In other words, they tell you what to wear, they tell you what to do, you draw your wages from them. Is there anybody like that in the room? The Old Testament word, they had a word for that. It was called slavery, servanthood. Now, it was not a direct comparison to how we have worked because we have labor laws and all these other things that have advanced during the course of our day. But back then, in that time, if you worked for another, if you could not, on your own, come up with a business that would settle debts and take care of things for your family, you would attach yourself to another person. There was no social services. There were no ways to look out for me. If you were in direct poverty, you said, I will serve you. Will you take care of my wife and my kids and give us clothing? But God says, if you're in that situation, there are still rules. If you hit that guy, it says in the same chapter that so many are offended at, and you even knock out his tooth, it says you pay all of his debts, you give him money, and make sure that you set him up as debts paid in full. You would only attach yourself to somebody if you owed them money. It was a bankruptcy rule. When you began to work for that other individual, though, if they abused you, if a slave ran away, you were to believe the slave that they had been harmed, and you were to set them free and not send them back. You were supposed to live with each other in a way that Israelites were to live with each other. So if there is a law that says you have the Sabbath off, they were to get the Sabbath off. If they were supposed to show up in Israel at Jerusalem in order to celebrate, you were not only to allow them to go and celebrate, you were to give them all of the food and everything necessary in order to have that party with their family. You were taking on the care and maintenance of those individuals. It wasn't a direct wash to what we saw here. In fact, if you go to, just write this down, 1 Timothy 1 and Deuteronomy 24, all of the slavery that's in our context and that's our trigger word is actually absolutely condemned. God says that is perverted and wrong. That kind of slavery has never been acceptable. But working for other people has been. Let me ask you this. Have you taken any time in your worry about these conjectures to actually look at the culture that they're talking about? In the Roman world, where over 50% of the people that he's speaking to were in a category called slavery. Pretty significant. What about slavery? God says, if that is going to be a part of your world, this is how you do it in a way that doesn't demean the individual. Just like if you're going to have to work for somebody today, this is how you do that in order to not demean the individual. And we continue to progress as we grow in number in how we're going to protect those people. But the principles that even guide a person to say, aren't they worthy of their wages? Aren't they worthy of being treated like everybody else? Aren't they worthy of being seen as equals? Those principles actually come from Scripture, where we get our rights and rules and regulations. Slavery is not a direct equal wash. When you hear that word, it's a trigger word. And it should be for us because of things that we've seen. But if we haven't considered the culture and the wording, do a a general word study and you will see a breadth to it that might open your eyes. I'm telling you there are not only answers, but there are ways of looking at the world that God does take a look at and he says, you as man and mankind have messed up the world, but if you're going to run the world this way, this is how you step into that and begin to undo the way that man thinks. And he sets it straight in scripture. 
it does become a delight to the eyes and it opens our hearts. Scripture, like a good meal, brings joy and health, but it requires chewing. Final thing, though, that we see in Psalm 19. It says in verse 12, who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Don't let them rule me. Scripture agrees with me, but we know that we're wrong. When we read it in context and God confronts our heart, what do we do? We tend to, like bedbugs, scurry from the light. There's a, I was reading, just trying to find some different illustrations, but I was actually reading about some maritime situations where boats had run aground. And there was one in England where they had all of the maps They had a clear run at where the safe harbor was. They had set their compass readings, and a fog rolled in. Imagine that in England. And as they're following their compass readings, they're saying, we should be able to get directly towards safe harbor if we just follow this compass reading and stay steady on. So there they go. They're heading in towards safe harbor only to run aground, miles south of where they were actually supposed to be. What they discovered when they were cleaning the boat was that uh, somebody who was, in fact, cleaning up around uh, the wheel and the compass that uh, the man that was steering the boat was getting all of his readings from, he had accidentally broken off the tip of his knife on the edge of the compass trying to clean around it. And that piece of metal, having scraped up against other pieces of metal and magnetized, had actually thrown off the compass reading by just a little bit, and the boat ended up crashing on a reef, one that was on the charge, but according to their readings, they thought that they were safe. It may be possible that in this last season, you say, man, I've been reading scripture, I've been trying to get my ideas from it, why do I keep wrecking, why do I keep running into things that are harmful, why do I keep running aground? And here's what I'm going to suggest, if scripture is the compass and you're reading it and still ending up in the wrong place, the chances are you're holding on to something that's throwing off the reading, and you're running aground because you won't let go of this. What is it that you're holding on to that's throwing off your reading of Scripture? What is it that is causing you to run aground? This is just 101, Scripture reading. Let go of the idols, hang on to the Lord. If you haven't been confronted by Scripture then you aren't reading it right. It's not just there to confront, but folks, we already have covered the lollipops and happy thoughts. It should confront us. Just to wrap up, this uh, last week I read that uh, Chinese scientists were actually able to create an artificial sun. I think it's the Tokarak. I I can't remember the name of the actual thing. This isn't... uh, the way in its final conclusion that it looks. This is just the outside edges. They have an institute there where they are able to actually create this place, this space where through all kinds of scientific craziness, they're able to create a magnetic field and hold this combustion together. And the result, as they begin to combine all of these different elements in there and cause them to explode and create fusion, it's a fusion reactor, they actually create something that is six times hotter than the sun that we have. Six times hotter. I feel super good that those guys are going to handle that right. 
six times hotter than the sun. This fusion reaction is happening. But there's something that is crazy about this. It requires all of these extra rules. It requires all of this extra maintenance, more people to help them be able to keep it in line. It, tosses all of the, it takes all this extra fuel. It only lasted 100 seconds. In the end, it expended more energy than it actually produced. It took more energy to create that reaction than it actually was able to produce, which is what they were hoping that it would do. And you want to know what? Scientists were so excited about their breakthrough, but they could not tell the world until the actual sun came up the next morning. The entire world still runs on the rhythm that God has set in place. And they were still subject to that sun before they could tell the information about theirs. Why is that important? Some of us are trying to do faith on our own. We've created our own rules, and it takes a lot of maintenance, and it takes a lot of energy, and in the end, it burns you out six times more quickly than regular life alone. You're wrecked. You feel drained. You feel overwhelmed. Why? You're trying to run life on your rules rather than God's. Here's what Scripture says. Every single day when the sun comes up, God is shouting out at you, I exist. And I've written down for you what it is that you should be about. And if you'll just subject yourself to what I say rather than your own opinion, instead of burning out and ruining your life, instead of running aground, you're going to live with life that is sweet, that is settled, that is secure, that is blessed. That's God's statement. Amen? Now, we have to make a hard right turn. But I think it's an appropriate time to do this. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, the Lord's Table. And this is actually a moment where Jesus says that he fulfills the Word of God. He actually came to fulfill what God said would happen and paid for us. A key moment in the Lord's Supper, though, happens at the very beginning, before we take these elements. So if you don't have... Uh, one of these, just put your hands up and the guys will make sure that you get one. Just put your hand up high in the air and we'll make sure that you have uh, those elements and uh, leave them up until somebody gets to you. But we're going to participate in these elements. We'll discuss that in a moment, but this is the opportunity that you and I have right now. It says before you take these pictures of the body and blood of Jesus that was shed for you, it says let a man examine himself. It says at the very end, Lord, keep me from any unintentional sins, or if I read your word, he says, keep me from sins where I actually know I've been doing the wrong thing. Help me to correct those. Maybe in that statement, even in your own heart, you have heard the Spirit whisper to you. As we bow our heads, close our eyes, AJ's going to come with the team right now. They're going to lead us in a song. As they lead us, reflect. Lord, is there anything between you and I? If there is, All Scripture says is, confess it and he'll cleanse it and you'll be ready for this moment. Let's pray. Father, as we reflect right now, we pray that you would guide us, that you would help us to trust your word. You would help us to see you in Scripture. Father, our our prayer is that we would submit, that we would see the truth of who you are, and we would let go of our idols, our failures, and our falsehoods. Father, help us to cling to you. Help us to live 
with the sweet taste of honey on our lips rather than bitterness. Father, we can only do that because of the finished work of Christ. As you, even right now, hear our worship, I pray that you would convict our hearts. And if there's anything that is not right towards you, Father, help us to confess it and take care of it today. We pray in Christ's name. Take the bread of life Broken for all my sin Your body crucified To make me whole again And I will recall the cup Poured out in sacrifice the sinner's end for your new covenant and hallelujah and I'll live my life in remembrance oh hallelujah I won't forget I'll walk salvation's road With fear and trembling Your way born as my own As Christ is formed in me And hallelujah, and I'll live my life in remembrance. Oh, hallelujah, your promise I won't forget. I should lose my way If ever I deny your grace Remind me of the price you paid Oh, hallelujah I'll live in
sing that again. You've been so, so good to me. And you've been so, so good to me. And don't you think where I would be if not for you, if not for you. And you've been so, so So far your grace has kept me Until I see you face to face Until at last I won my race Remind me you're not finished yet Oh, hallelujah Oh, hallelujah Hallelujah, I live in remembrance. Just uh, familiarize yourself with... Uh elements that were handed to you. We have on one side the bread and the other side the cup. Just a reminder, these elements don't save you, but they are intended to be a a provision for us, a holy moment where we remember what Christ did for us. We get our direction here, and I'd have you open the bread side first. We get our direction from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul says this. He said, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you on the night in which he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. other side the scripture continues it says in the same way also he took the cup after supper and said this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me scripture wraps up and says for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes Father we thank you we thank you for your word that actually tells us how it is that we can please you how we can reflect on you the truths that we can know about you and how we can walk in this world in a way that would please you we praise you for that reflection this morning we thank you for the shed blood 
of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf that gives us new life today, the ability to live with joy, but also the promise of eternity and the soon return of Jesus. Help us to live every day anticipating his arrival. Father, as we do that, help us to share the gospel and invite others to join us. We pray we'd be enabled to do that with clean hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. gift of love could I offer to a king? What weight of word could be held within my offering? When he alone is worthy A glory song is upon my heart this treasure held in an alabaster jar I pray to bring him all the glory and praise God from whom all blessings flow could be equal to his own. The cross of Christ has declared that there is not I own. And yet I know I owe him all. And praise God from
Amen. Put your hands together for the Lord today. He's worthy of all the praise that we have. Hey, thanks so much for being here. You are dismissed. Have a great rest of your week.
streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise teach me songs 